0: Welcome to episode 8 of Performance Talks. This week we are joined by Matt Jones. We had a really enjoyable chat with Matt where we discussed his time in football, initially with Cardiff City and then with the Singaporean national team. Matt continued his adventure in Asia when he moved to China to take on a new sport and a new challenge, working with the sport climbing team. I honestly think this is going to be a must-watch event when it debuts at the Olympics later this year. During this chat with Matt, we also spoke about his Twitter campaign to help people improve the quality of their CVs and what to look out for. Really interesting for any new coaches out there. I hope you enjoy this episode and as always, please like, rate and share this episode with your mates.
1: uh, Hi guys, cheers for having me on. Uh, Pleasure to to catch up and to to have the opportunity to have a chat. Um, So for those of you who don't know me, um, my name is Matt Jones. Uh, I'm currently um, a performance coach working at Exynos in the corporate wellness sector. Um, Obviously met you two guys out in China, Um, the the struggles over there. And now uh, currently house husband as well at the moment, working from home for the past 12 months. Um, But yeah, that's pretty much that's the, the short of it about me. Do you need a bit more details as well? Or?
0: Um, yeah, it'd be interesting digging a bit more about your um, your background and yeah. journey. So from like university through, obviously before you came out to China, I know sure. that you'd worked in Singapore. Mm-hmm. So give us a bit more detail on ah. that and some of the other roles you've had.
1: Cool. So I suppose I was yeah, starting off in Uni University of Glamorgan, um, undergrad in, in sports studies, wanted to be a, a PE teacher initially. And then uh, I guess I was lucky enough, I suppose, to have Ian Jeffries as a mentor, so um, he was quite a big influence on that. And being injury prone as anything, getting in the gym made a bit of difference. Decided I wanted to go to SNC. Uh, got my CSCS then at the back end of that year, 2012. Come out of uni as I mentioned, expecting a job to come on the plate. Nothing happened, so uh, worked for a year, uh, just as a lifeguard, and then started doing a bit of work with the local swimming club, SNC, just to, uh, dip my toes in literally. Um, and then from there, went back to uni to do uh, an MSc University of South Wales to do MSc and performance coaching. Um, and then managed to get a job at Cardiff city at the same time in the academy there. And then uh, yeah, season there. Um, and again, back end of that, when I finished that expecting jobs on the plate, but nothing, uh, nothing really forthcoming. Um, but I was quite lucky at that time to, to get a job, out in Singapore with the Football Association in Singapore as head of youth S&C. Um, so I was pretty, I was out there for three and a half years, and that was overseeing the, the 13s, to the 18s, men's, 14s, national team with the women's, and then all of the rehab. And then from there, pretty much went straight out to China and was out there for a year. And uh, and yeah, and then six months in the wilderness after that, and then exos. Yeah. <laughs>
0: there you go it's quite quite a journey um one of the things we always like to ask people is about their you know their mentors as they've kind of gone through their career and journey and you've already just name dropped one of the biggest names in the, in the business what was it like having Ian jeffries as a mentor
1: yeah yeah good um, i mean it's a i wouldn't necessarily class him as a mentor per se but he's definitely the person that drove me to go to snc like just because he, he was that good as a lecturer um I mean, if you ever catch him present, he, you know, I don't know if he's like that now, he's knocking into his 60s probably, but he used to be jumping up on the stage. and. Oh, he still, and, he still uh, is. I saw him at the UK SCA
0: a, a couple of years ago and he was a great, that was the first time I'd seen him speak and he's, you know, the room was packed and he, you know, he commanded everyone's attention for sure. Yeah,
1: he's, uh, yeah, he was just really good. And then, I mean, I, I kept in touch as well. So I try and keep him updated to what's going on. Um. But yeah, I mean he he was the sort of the I suppose the inspiration to get into SNC um from that side of things. And then the was outside of that, I mean, wasn't too much. Cardiff was a little, I was a little bit, I suppose, unlucky. I, w- I was hired by Reese Carr, who's at Sheffield United now. Um he left after a few months to go to Bristol City. And they brought in then Owen Walker, who used to run Science for Sport. Um Oh, a really, really smart guy. He was about the same age as me. So it wasn't like he had a ton more experience and a bit more and obviously a bit smarter than me. So I learned a decent amount of him. Um, But yeah, I mean, from there, Singapore, there wasn't really anyone who was out there at the time. Um, So yeah, it was a a bit of a challenge. And I mean, that probably, whether it delayed my my own development or not, I'm not sure, but I suppose it, it just meant that I had to work through the challenges myself and fail considerably well for the, for the first you know 18 months yeah. and then um, turn things around from there
0: well it's a, there's a lot of times in this industry where it's just a sink or swim style of learning right and I think a lot of the times in in teams you know S&C staff are often on their own and you're having to work things out problem solve and everything um, what was that transition like going from Cardiff obviously very well established club um, you know Fairly good in the in the grand scheme of things, and then going out to uh, to Singapore. What was that? What was that transition like for you?
1: I mean, the move overseas was fine. Actually, didn't I wasn't really apprehensive about it. Um, I'm not one for getting nervous, really. But I remember then. I think I got out there on the Saturday, and I didn't start work until the Friday. So I pretty much spent most of the week exploring and sorting bits and bobs out and visas and stuff. And I remember being showed around the first day um and they're like oh right okay that's it so you can just get on with whatever you have to get on with now and I was like oh, cool. cool what's that what do I have to do <laughs> and just like th- that day like never really had it before or since but just imposter syndrome like massive imposter syndrome hit me so hard that day I was just thinking you know what I, I, what have I done here I've made the wrong decision here I don't know what the hell is going on <laughs> and then um then it didn't help me in the weekend as well. And that was just running through my head the entire weekend Went by myself overseas. Um, and then when I came back in the Monday, luckily that an athlete needed rehab. And even then to be fair, it was, Oh, they've got this lad who's doing ACL. Um, I've done his ACL. Can you give him a hand? I'm like, sure. Yeah. What's an ACL? Just, <laughs> just completely at my depth, but um, yeah, it was a weird one. The transition from Cardiff to, to Singapore, because although it was like an FA it's run, almost like a club because it's such a small island. Like our our youth teams played in essentially the league above. So like the 17s, 18s playing the reserve league, 16s in the 18 leagues, 15, 16s, and all the way down. Um, so it was like day-to-day training. But then most of my day was like rehab because none of the clubs had sport professionals. They didn't really have a physio. They didn't have athletic, uh, you know, physical performance coaches. So it was a case of just doing all of that and then overseeing training in the evening so it was just almost painted in a bad light really but I suppose there was just no organization on that side of things from the physical preparation no athletic development in place just going in and just like right this is absolute carnage um I think you know discussing with even my boss now or my previous boss here at at, um, Exos like for me it's always been a case actually most of my jobs you know here at singapore and china having to go in and build it from the ground up essentially what was going on and i mean that's something i quite enjoy doing um you can put your own spin on it put your own fingerprint on what's happening and i was quite lucky really there wasn't any proper pressure i think if i got into a, a professional club here in the uk and had to do the same thing i'd probably been booted out after a year but because i had time to sort of grow and develop and figure out what what works what didn't work and understand the culture and and everything around that, it just meant that over time I sort of grew into the program really and the program grew with me, I guess. Such
2: an interesting point because I think you can you can go one of two ways when you think about going into new programs, right? And it's sort of like, well, do I just copy everything that was done before me? Because that's safe. Do I change absolutely everything to prove that I am worth my money and that and I should be here? And, and kind of the answer is you should probably fall somewhere in the middle um, but I think a lot of a lot of coaches struggle with that, don't they and and going into somewhere where there isn't really anything kind of I don't want to say it takes pressure off because there's obviously pressure like these these are high sort of high profile positions but in terms of a bit of that imposter syndrome again, you're not looking over your shoulder almost and thinking well the, the last person did this you can just go and do what you want right?
1: Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I think when I'm thinking back to what I did now, it was, right, okay, well, this is what we implemented at the Cardiff. Um, so, okay, we'll, we'll go and I'll, I'll try and implement something similar to this. And I was quite lucky because I started there in August um, and then their season finishes around November. So I pretty much had sort of three months just to get a feel of the place and get an understanding about how things works worked, how things will run. So it meant then come January in the new season, I could really properly implement everything that I needed, as opposed to coming in at the start of pre season and just being like, right, I've got to understand everything straight away. Um, so I was quite lucky really implementing that and then iterating as I went along, really. Um, but yeah, it wasn't, and I suppose because the level of SNC is quite poor in Singapore, there's not a high standard practitioner, um, generally speaking, um, and there's not like lots of competition for jobs it meant that i was like well ultimately i know i'm one of the best practitioners here already even though i had no idea what i was doing for the most part so it worked out right really
2: listen for stepping aside from that from the snc for a second obviously we all came together and worked in china but i i advocate a lot to, to young coaches going abroad because i think it it teaches you a lot about your craft it teaches you a lot about you as a person um but literally like from a, from someone who'd never worked abroad before, what is it like, like in your experience, you went from Cardiff over to Singapore, like did they sort out a house for you? Did they sort out, you know, food? What, what does it look like? Like we know what it looks like in China because we've been there, but for someone who's never experienced that, how did you find that?
1: Yeah, Singapore was a bit, um, was a bit of carnage to be honest because the job was actually not lined up. But I suppose it was proposed for a local coach. So I went over, I was in like a really weird position as a, as an expat coach that I didn't have an expat package. So I didn't have more money. I, I, had, I had all right money. I'm not complaining about it, but I mean, you know, the coaches were paid a lot, lot more than me. They had accommodation on a car. I went over without any of that. You know, they paid for my flight. Um, and then I had to pay for hotel accommodation for that week uh, until I found a place myself. Um and yeah, it was just, I was weird. I had like the worst contract there out of everyone. All the locals had all the local benefits. They're like a 13th month, they got more, you know, a bit more holidays, they were looked after a little bit more on that side. And then obviously the expat coaches had all the additional stuff and didn't have to worry about anything. Well, I'm in between, I don't get any extra money, I don't get a bonus <laughs> and stuff like that. Um so yeah, it was it was like a really really steep learning curve, um, and it was hot blood. Yeah, I tell you what, like I couldn't believe stepping out of that airport. Oh yeah, I mean, that ginger skin of yours is, would yeah. not yeah. have got no. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is, I'm not really built for the sun. Am I? I don't know what I thought moving to the equator. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it was um, it was quite a steep learning curve and just figuring out. And then I was quite lucky; my girlfriend moved out after a couple of months, and then yeah, we we were renting a single room, like a little box room out in another couple's apartment. I got it to start off with. And then we were in there and then she lost her job after six weeks. So it was pretty much just in that room all day. And then um, luckily she managed to get a job just as her visa was running out. So um, we had to pop across to Malaysia, just get back in and get her another 90 days and come back in. Um, And then we managed to get a place after six months, but pretty much had, you know, I think she was the two of us in this tiny, super single bed, this tiny box room. For four months. Um and, like, Singapore's
2: expensive. Yeah. Yep.
1: Yeah. So. It's interesting
2: um, to hear hear the like people's stories. Obviously, we know like with, with the China jobs, you never kind of know exactly where you're gonna be. We know that, but you you are pretty much guaranteed you're gonna have somewhere to sleep. It's normally gonna be a hotel or a training center. You're gonna get your food provided. I remember I was in uh in talks a while back with with a job in hong kong and the salary package was was pretty decent but then they said oh but there's no housing so having had experience of moving around i start to look at how much housing costs in hong kong and i'm like <laughs> this it. job is now unrealistic Forget it. yeah yep. so i think it's very like you said like that first time you, you don't know what you what you get yourself into right i remember the first contract i got for from china and I literally saw the salary and was like yep i'm coming and i didn't think about anything else and then like i've never I i haven't spoken about it yet on one of the podcast episodes but like my first night in china was minging it was it was the worst thing i've ever had and and you just lay in there like thinking what have i gotten myself into um I think sorry, I had the sorry. complete opposite experience. I uh, you had I made, I made sure
0: that everything was uh, was written into my first contract. And uh, the some of the lads from Twisted got out there before me. So I got met at the airport, taken to the hotel. I was uh, given a beer in the lobby of the hotel and told to get changed. We're going out or we went to a craft brewery. And I, my first night in China, I had like wings and craft beer and was just like, Oh, this isn't going to be too bad,
2: is it? Just living this the dream, it. mate. I was no. I was in a, a, a awful hotel room with more bugs than you can ever possibly envisage in your life. You, I, I pulled the curtain across, and like the clumps of bugs that were on the curtains were like the size of a dinner plate. It was just ridiculous. Was that in and Harbin? That was in uh, Jilin. Uh, And I'd obviously traveled. I'd gone like from where I lived in Kent down to Heathrow, flown to Beijing, connected to Chungchun, had a two hour drive. Like we'd been traveling for 24 hours. It was two o'clock in the morning. Coach is like, the bus leaves at six o'clock for practice. So I, I had no choice. I literally like pulled the covers over my head. I can hear the bugs like landing on the covers and I'm just like, what the fuck have I done? Why am I here? Like this is such a mistake. And then I've stayed there for four years, so can't be all that
1: Painting paint a good picture of it. Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well,
0: after the, after that learning experience in Singapore, what um, what kind of inspired you to to then look at moving to China?
1: Um, well, I get I, I sort of reached through a bit of a glass ceiling in Singapore, really. Um, they, they brought in a new technical director when I was out there. So it was a case of they want their own people. And I was just sort of there on this weird contract. Um, and I mean, it, I was looking for work for a while and I'd had, uh, an opportunity to move to, to the sports surgery clinic in Dublin, but they didn't want to pay for a package to relocate me. So I'm like, okay, what? Well, I can't do that. Um, and they were, and then I was looking elsewhere. Um, and yeah, and then China came up, um, and it was a case of, well, I've got to take this opportunity if I can get it. So same as always just applying for jobs and, um, and then I got offered that and I was like, right, we need to have you there in, in 16 days. I'm like what? <laughs> I've got, I got like a three month notice period here. I have six months left on my, co- uh, my condo. Um, so yeah, I mean, it was just, it was just an opportunity really. And then luckily I managed to speak to my boss. They let us out and we had good landlords as well at the condo. So they let us out early. Um, and yeah pretty much then it was just like well i might as well do it it's a year at the end of the day if i really really hate it i can always just cut ties move back and then find something in the uk so it was always worth that risk and i suppose after having the experience in singapore before it was okay well i know china's probably going to be a little bit worse in terms of it's going to be a bit more manic um and less westernized but you know what that's fine i know what to expect and it's it's fine. Do deal with it. And I suppose then arriving with all the American coaches, I felt like I was the most experienced one there. Um, <laughs> so it worked out all right.
0: You shrugged off the imposter syndrome imposter yeah, yeah. syndrome then. <laughs> yeah.
1: Definitely, yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. It's uh no, I remember that um that first day when I um, end up having a load of you guys in for the sort of first kind of yeah. debrief and and stuff as I was taking over at the COC. Um yeah, that was uh, an interesting, an interesting day and time. And, yeah, uh, it was nice
1: to hear another British voice to be Yeah,
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think that I think that day it was like just you and me, and uh, Steve wasn't with us quite then, and don't, no, you, don't no. even think Ben Dixon was out there at that point either. So. No,
1: Ben was out a while after me, right? I think. Yeah,
2: yeah. Yeah, it's funny um, uh, you say about hearing another British voice. I when I was working for sure. I can't remember. It was it was hockey or short track. One of those contracts, anyway. Um, and my boss at the time was a Canadian guy, lovely guy. Uh, you know, got a lot of time for him. But but he said to me, he's like, oh, have you uh, have you spoken to Simon yet? And I was like, oh, who's Simon? And he's like, oh, he's he's another he's the other the other British strength coach. I'm like, right, because there's only two of us in the yeah. whole world. <laughs> that was it. Like, funnily oh. enough, I don't know who Simon is. Oh yeah. Oh god. Got Listen, that a lot. Yeah it, it was funny. Um a... So China you end so just just talk us briefly through like like where you went like fr- through the teams and then obviously you ended up with climbing and and I really want to get into that because it was my kind of first experience watching it when we went to the Asian Games in Palembang and for anyone who's not seen it's called sport climbing right it's not speed climbing
1: yes it's it's sport. sport climbing and speed's one of the disciplines yeah
2: right it is just an unbelievable event to watch so so kind of what was that brief like start to your china career like and then obviously getting into to climbing
1: um yeah i mean so i, I think i do it was that day actually we had that first event assignment it might be in the day after i can't remember but that's when we were all menometer translators and um i think i got told i was working with uh cross-country running i was like okay i don't remember that being a olympic sport I like, right okay or whatever it's fine and then uh i think the next day then or oh, maybe it was the next day actually when the translators came um we were, i was told actually no i was going to one of the other guys is having that so I was like, all right okay fine i think that which worked out all right cody and it was cross-country skiing so i was quite lucky I didn't go out there expecting running and didn't like to be skiing but um and yeah pretty much then just like two weeks i think it was pretty much two weeks today after i arrived that i hadn't been assigned to sport and i thought i Met Randy hunterton at that time, and he another coach from the US was traveling through on we a transit for a few hours. and He said, Oh, I'm meeting for a coffee, so I'll grab him for some time. Um, so I met Randy down at Starbucks at 7 a.m. I was like, Killed me that <laughs> day, he loved that, didn't he? That, that Starbucks he will that. close down the
2: day Randy <laughs> leaves China oh, for because sure. <laughs> he <laughs> lives in that Starbucks.
1: Um, so yeah, I remember going there and then seeing him watching training. And obviously didn't have a, a SIM card or anything, so I had no internet. I thought, right, I'll go train after this. And then my phone just blew up, just had like 20 calls from, uh, from Wiley. just saying, right, well, where are you? We're we going, your car's leaving in an hour. I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> I'm in the gym. And just literally had to run back to the hotel, i pack a bag and was told I was off to climbing. <laughs> and then, where's that? Oh, up in Wiro. Cool. Where's that? <laughs> no idea. And then just, yeah, carted up there and just sort of, thrown in with them really yeah
0: what was uh what was it like when you first sort of got your head around the sport and sport climbing? like where did you start in terms of kind of needs analysis or speaking to the coaches like how did you go about that as a kind of new sport yeah I mean there's not
1: not really much in the way of climbing research out there in terms of papers and just having a look and trying to find out the tons and like grip strength for rock climbers. Um, but nothing like holistic that you could look at and think, right. Okay. Well, this is how they're training. This is what they're doing. This is, you know, any time motion analysis at all. So it was pretty much just watching training. Okay. Seeing what they're doing, seeing what's going on, recording, how, how long they were climbing for, what the rest were typically between it for athletes, um, understanding what the hell the grading system was about when it comes to bouldering and that side of things. Um, and, yeah, l- l- I was quite lucky because the the combined team, I think we had six or seven, and it was either five or six of them spoke English, so that was okay. I could manage and still could understand me because not many people can, but I think that's being from Wales. Yeah. But yeah, it was just that was right. I could manage, I could have discussions with them, find out, okay, well, how are you feeling after this? And just have a general idea. Ask how the hell are you even holding on to that? Because I can't even grab onto with two hands. Um, it just doesn't make sense to me. Um, and yeah, and then for the speed climbing as well, it was just watching it and and again, just taking notes and seeing what's going on, seeing how many contacts they were making on the wall, trying to understand how it felt for the climbers on there, whether it's, you know, it's a, a lower body or upper body sport predominantly um, there was a Russian coach and he was, he's got the most medals in world cup history for speed climbing who was working with us. So, okay, I'll engage with him and have a chat with him and just, just engage as much as possible and just try and speak to the athletes, speak to coaches and watch and learn. And I think we were working off a three plus one cycles so three days on one day off. And they wanted me to coach day one. And I'm like, no, 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 I'm not coaching yet. I want to see what's going on and figure out what's happening. Um, I managed to get through two, two micro microcycles; That was all right. So I managed to get back a week before I actually do any coaching. Um, but then even then, it was just, just watching, see what was happening, see what was going on with the gym work, um, trying to understand what the hell the physical coach was doing at that time that the Chinese coach was there. Still to this day, not much um but yeah it just sounds normal for, yeah, for chinese yeah, coaches yeah yeah it was uh, madness even just that took taking videos of slower videos of some of the stuff they're doing and just being like right well does this position this person landing and does that look good to you and like and then even then when i started coaching it was right well we need to teach them how to hinge um you know you know these elite level speed climbers picking up 10 kilos off the floor and that was it like that's all we we're doing i'm like right we doing this so that they can pick up heavier in a few weeks. So I know that they're safe. Um, yeah. It's good that you had the confidence to,
0: to say no and to take that time to, to observe and watch. Cause that for me is one of the key fundamentals of starting with a new team, a new sport, or, or even in a new organization of any kind is taking the time to kind of learn and observe because you could come in like a bull in a china shop and be like right i want to do this this and this and then suddenly you realize you've gone off on a tangent that is not helpful to anyone and it's too difficult to rein it in then so i I think that's great was was that something that you you know you sort of learned from your time in singapore
1: yeah yeah like i said having that that buffer period before i started properly putting in the work i wanted to do um made a difference for me and um and when they brought in another physical coach, um, a Belgian guy to match up with the technical director, he just came in, tried to change everything straight away. And I'm like, right, well, that's not gonna work. You know, but I've seen what works and what doesn't, that's not gonna work. You need to take your time and just you know, bashing heads. And yeah, you, you managed to get some push some stuff pushed through, but you just kind of come up against the culture then if you don't understand it, and it, it was just a bit of an issue. And I suppose the that mental model of like chests and fence. That if you go somewhere, there's a fence somewhere, you don't understand why. Well, there was a reason why that fence got put up for some reason. So, you know, if things are being done, there probably is a reason for it. And just because you don't understand the perspective of that person who had it, who put up that fence, or did decide what was going on in the program, you know, you need to understand that, right? Yeah, that is, that's a
2: yeah, that's a, a great example. Point, yeah.
1: yeah. We so, um like, go on, sorry. Oh no, I was
0: gonna say, like, we, we ended up developing that um as kind of part of the the introductory orientation for people coming into China, um, just to make sure that it was like very clear and explicit to all the new coaches coming through. Like you have to try and observe these things. And just because exactly like you said, just because you don't know the reason why, doesn't mean that it's not a valid reason. And yes, there are times where something that was implemented previously may now be redundant, and you can change it but you're going to have to explain why because otherwise you're going to face that kind of oh well it's always been there so you're going to have to have a very good reason to try and change that or you know
2: gradually uh, chip away at it so much that that comes along with that isn't it like that that you can misstep really really easily right so you could go into that program and see something that you don't agree with and you know assume that it's come from a, from a performance coach. Talk to the head coach and be like, Yeah, because you know you're doing this and it's it's awful, like you should never be doing that. And then that head coach is like, that was my idea. And you've just killed your relationship straight away. <clears throat> and I think, you know, again, like we, we go into culture like all the time, but just because you don't agree with something doesn't mean that it's the right thing or the wrong thing. And and it's so hard to separate your own culture because if if you've grown up in in such a way and you've been educated in such a way that every single fiber in your being knows that that's wrong it still doesn't necessarily mean it's wrong and and so many coaches fall down there and, and can't figure that bit out
1: yeah i think like even looking at it I, try, I sort of try and look it through two lenses of, well, you've got the, the culture of the country, where you're going, you've got the culture of the sport. So, like, for me, obviously going to if I understood the culture, of the culture of the country and then just had to sort of get the grips to football at elite level, I guess, a bit more. From there, then going to Singapore, well, okay, I understand the sport, but then the culture of the country is completely different and how that impacts the sport. So it's a case of, right, well, I need to take a second, step back, figure out what's going on. Then going to China, okay, I understand Asian culture to an extent, although there was massive differences between Singapore and China. It was a case that, right, well, I really need to get the grips here now. I need to take as much of a step back as possible and really, really understand what's going on with the sport. because It didn't help going into a completely new sport. and There's all these idiosyncrasies, isn't there? And then the same with the country and how things run. Um Like I said, I, I didn't have that imposter syndrome for that because i felt that well okay i've specifically been brought here to china because i'm an expert in my field at this and there's a reason i know what i'm doing i'm not gonna make a decision that's rash and and you know do something that's going to cause harm to the athletes so it's like right well i'll take my time with that and the same same coming here now with exos and the corporate wellness side it's i understand the culture of the country but the culture of the organization i work for is completely different so i have to take time to understand that and learn what's going on with that as well it's really really important
0: Yeah, it's interesting. I think I think actually there was something else I wanted to chat about, and you've just sort of brought it up a bit. There is that shift away from pro sport and into like corporate health and wellness. Uh, This is obviously a huge area that's that's expanding, and I think will be a huge growth area in the future. Um, Just give us a bit more information about what that was. You know what that was like. What was the what was the motivation for going into that that role and that field and um you know what your experience has been since you made that switch
1: main motivation was to earn some money uh six months (laughs) out of work has been a bit of a struggle but um welcome to elite snc yeah (laughs) i
0: I swear we're gonna do an episode about losing your job and just uh get like this massive zoom of like 30 odd people who have all uh you know been through it it's uh one of the realities of the industry unfortunately isn't it and i think um as much as we try not to talk about COVID specifically in, the, in these chats, um, I think it's definitely shown the fragility of the, the
2: industry a lot. Um, it's mad, isn't it? It's a fragile industry before a global pandemic where you can get fired even though you've done everything to the best of your ability and, and absolutely perfectly well. And then throw a global pandemic in there where all of sport ceases like good luck if you kept your job during this yeah
1: yeah it's um but that that was a sort of main aim. I needed to find work but I guess other than that I, I quite like having range with myself in general I like to be to be able to coach at the drop of a hat with whoever I'm working with so I mean you know, going from youth swimmers going to football youth footballers going to more senior football a little bit and international footballers um and a wide range there especially the rehab and then China, completely different sport, and, and now in corporate wellness where it's, it's not elite-level performance we're looking at. It's just health and well-being and trying to bridge that gap and sort of develop those skills that are required to work with who I need to work with. Um, I mean, it's, it's interesting enough, like, we've got sort of the, the sites we work on are split across three sites. We have engineers, we have sales and marketing, we have, like, the lawyers in the other building, um, and you need a different coaching hat for each of those sites. Like you can't coach the same. It's impossible. I mean, I've got a Thursday, well, when we are in the office, I had a Thursday morning strength class at the engineering site. Won't get a peep at anyone at all. Just wouldn't hear anything. You know, it's a, that's a slog that Thursday morning class and um, they're all good guys. And they're all right. And they warm up towards the end. But at the start it's like morning, I have to go and guys trying to bring some energy and they're like, Oh, it's him again. Um, you know, but like, we would have maybe even in that class, we'd have someone from the other side, which might be more media based. They might be in the building for the day and they engage with, Hey, how's it going? Good morning. How are you? I'm like, right. You're not an engineer. Are you right? Where do you work?" <laughs> and just see straight away, but having that range of coaching, it, you know, it's something I quite enjoy and, and developing my ability as a coach as much as possible. Um, but we sort of, we implement the health and wellbeing program at this, uh, this corporate company. Yeah. Um, yeah it's good this small corporate company that you've small not small allowed to yet. mention
0: yeah <laughs> <laughs> i um no i i really like what you said there about being able to coach like different people i i think i was like a lot of people i and we kind of touched on it before we started recording I think I was very naive when I first came out of university. I had this, this great degree that was very specific for a job, and I thought I was going to go out there and start coaching Olympic athletes. And um, you know, I kind of started in a similar way to you as well. I was working at the, I started off working in the swimming pool at the big golf and tennis club that was right next door to my uni. And it was a it was a great club, big private members club, um, very high end club in London. And I sort of developed up working through that and then got into the gym and was kind of working the gym floor and personal training. And it was great because a lot of the people in there were tennis players. They were there for, a you know, as a tennis club, um, like before the National Tennis Center had been built. It was actually where Andy Murray and a lot of the um, British players were training when they whenever they were in London. But that was not my, my role with them, obviously. It was more por- sort of personal training. Um, and I actually hit a point where I was like, oh God, I don't want to, I don't think I want to do this. I don't think I want this to be my job. So I actually left and did a ski season. And during that ski season, I was like, actually that, that job was all right. I had it, I had it pretty good there. Kind of went back into it, and but with a new resolved kind of direct where I, I wanted it to go. And throughout my career, I think again, like particularly in the, in the UK, you often end up sort of piecemealing things together. So you might have a contract with a club or you might have a, you know, I had a contract with a tennis academy, but then I was doing other PT stuff on the side. When I came to Canada, I was in a private facility and we had, you know, some elite athletes. We had NHL players in the summer and stuff, but then you're also personal training everyone. I actually feel like I learned so much more from some of those private clients that I worked with The ability when you've only got an hour with someone and they're paying top dollar and they come in and are like, oh, I was doing some work in the garden the other day and my shoulders bust. And you have to find a way to help them move and get on with their day super quickly and, you know, just react to everything. I feel like that helped me a huge amount when I actually was working with athletes day in, day out, because same thing, they come to me and they're like, "Okay, great. I've got this issue or I've got that, or I've, I've pulled something or I'm like, I'm a bit worried about this. And you're suddenly like, okay, great. I I can fix that for you and get you back out to play. So I think there's a yeah. huge crossover that a lot of people don't show enough respect for.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think it's an area that students should massively get involved in is personal training. If you can get a qualification, get it done. Like just coaching hours. It's yeah. the biggest thing. Like, I that's mean, the, that's the thing, isn't it? Yeah. Like thinking back to Singapore, most of my day was rehab you know, I was working five days a week and i do a few hours on the weekends, like with the teams, if we had games or a morning training. But I was pretty much doing eight hours of coaching with rehab every day. So I was doing like 40 hours a week contact time just in rehab. <laughs> and I mean, like, it. yeah, I, mean, it, well, I was dead, like doing 60 hour weeks, like absolute dead. And then you look at China, I was doing 60 hours a month by the time I finished. <laughs> yeah. but, which is which nice. It wasn't too bad. i tell you what, I think I was keeping Starbucks in Huairo open as well. Yeah. But, but like Mate, i didn't even know they had a
2: starbucks all the way up there
1: yeah that, i know it's, I mean,
2: it's called Beijing but that yeah. is not Beijing <laughs> man you got to take an airplane just to get there
1: <laughs> they're, they're living an hour outside the city but it's still in the city it's mental um but yeah it was just just that coaching hours like the contact time makes a difference one of the things i mentioned to to a friend is like you know if you work at a football club you have about four or five hours contact a week and that's it you mm. it maybe more if you're lucky you can do rehab but where are going to learn more either doing PT when you've got a chance to actually work with a range of different people, different backgrounds, different injuries, different problems, different stresses, or if you can get into the rehab and like you mentioned, like, you know, someone who's got a small injury, you can make that change on the fly instantly then, right? If an athlete yeah. comes to see you in training, it's just a really underserviced um, population for sure. I think absolutely. absolutely. Some, some people, especially students,
2: um, mistake, an elite athlete with an elite like training age. Do you know what I mean? And and they have this idea that they that everybody wants to work in elite sport f- for for whatever reason, kudos and and your CV and money and all that sort of stuff. But it, but a lot of it's to work with these amazing athletes, and then you get them in the gym, and they're just awful a lot of the time. Um, I remember watching the the rowing team Um, one of their sort of physical coaches set up a a little fun warm-up for them that had like lateral hurdle steps and about four of them fell over trying to do these hurdle steps and and you're just like I think you know people look down on things like personal training because because they're like oh but they're not elite athletes and you're like listen a lot of the elite athletes you work with are not going to be elite in the gym
1: you know what as well it's, it's impact like for, for me anyway what i see is right how can i have the biggest impact possible and maybe that's not going to be elite level maybe that never will be elite level you know um, again but you know, if you if you can change someone's life by just actually making a difference to how much pain they're in, like, that's massive. Like, it, you get some, such a sense of satisfaction. You'll get sense of satisfaction more so from that than putting out cones for your team if they win the Premier League. Like, do you know what I mean? If oh, you're just doing sure. that, Wash and shake I, the bottles, eh? I think, um,
0: actually, the longer I spent with teams, the more I developed that personal relationship with them that I ended up having the same kind of feeling as when my personal training clients did well. It was, more, it was exactly like you were saying, it's more about the impact you've had on them as a person than it is about their results. Because as a coach, you have to be there when they win and when they lose, right? And you have to be able to coach them through both of those things. And you have to be somewhat neutral in your approach to help them through it. So it ends up being much more about the sort of the personal growth and their their change and development than anything else
1: yeah definitely yeah it's um and that's that was the side of things the rehab as well like i could just develop you know i've got someone in for an acl injury eight to 14 months something like that and that's eight to 14 months i can really really develop a really close relationship with one individual and even then we sort of grouped them together so it wasn't so isolated there'd be right acl groups in and you know we'd do the running stuff together, do sprint stuff together, that lift similar, you know, if they're on similar timelines, yeah. and um, and yeah, it's just just have that connection with people a bit yeah. more, don't you? And that's you don't really get in a team setting. Sometimes if you are just taking a warm up, you know.
0: Oh, for sure, definitely. Um, so talking about that in terms of like your kind of growth and development, you mentioned about like just being able to like learn the trade. One of the other things I know Steve wanted to pick up on this was your uh, recent posts on twitter about you know people developing their cvs and and things like that what was it that kind of spurred you to to kind of post that
1: i mean i think it was like june last year so i can still just about hang on to recent kind of (laughs) still living off that um but, time, I mean, uh, time yeah. is
0: time is meaningless during this <laughs> pandemic. It doesn't matter.
2: Simon <laughs> posts about twice a year on social media, so that is still, <laughs> that's very to
0: recent. Yeah. <laughs> it
1: takes um, me a
0: week to answer a text message sometimes. So don't, like... <laughs>
1: um, yeah, I mean, so one of one of my friends is uh, is a football coach who works out in Spain at uh, a uh, sort of like private academy. Um, And he reached out and said, do I know any sort of young coaches or developing coaches who'd be interested? And I I didn't like, you know, I don't really have that much interaction to be fair with anyone who's just brand new out of the field or at a uni or something like that. So I thought I said to him, you know, I'll share it on Twitter. um, And then what I'll do is a bit of practice for me. I'll have a look through the CVs, choose the better ones and and send them across to you and leave it to you from there. Um, So, I mean, I put it up I had to take it down after about 18 hours because I'd had about 150 messages (laughs) and 100 replies and it was just madness Um, and yeah it was just off the back of that really just going through I think we had 101 applications in the end and it was just going through all of those and just seeing similar things cropping up all the time and you like you you know we chatted about it earlier but I'm assuming you've got similar stories as well, some of the stuff you saw from oh, the, yeah. the China I mean, iPads, right?
0: Geez, like, and that's one of the things I was saying about, like, being naive earlier on in my career was, like, you don't realise how many people are applying for these jobs. And, you know, like you said, you put one post up there on Twitter and you've got over 100 applicants in a day. You know, working in uh, China when we were recruiting and we had hundreds of applicants <laughs> come through... You know, and when we were looking to hire a fair few people, but you know, you've just got hundreds and
2: hundreds of applicants coming the, through. Yeah, the difference I think with well, well, certainly with our advert was the one that you know we placed it and we recruited, and that was something that Simon and I felt very strongly about. The the organisation had a tendency to use. Other companies to recruit, which is absolutely fine, and you know they they've been through so many different companies, and they've used Exos, and they've used VSP, and they've used Play, and they've used Twist, and you know a lot. We've all, in fact, gone through that that system with one or more of those with those companies. But it was something that Simon and I felt very strongly about was was recruiting for ourselves. One of the other things we also felt strongly about was was transparency in that uh, process. So we put on. The advert, a salary. It, it, nothing annoys me more when there's no salary, and we've spoken about it numerous times. China pays good money, so we we had a job advert out there with the salary saying five to seven thousand dollars a month for strength coaches. Can you imagine what the inbox looked like? It was ridiculous.
1: And it's like it's a hard thing, isn't it? Because I suppose when you're a young SNC coach, you're like, right. Well, I might as well try because you never know. Right. But then the person hiring, it's like, right. I wish this person hadn't tried. I really wish they'd tried. Someone has
2: to, someone has to read this yeah. and
1: like waste
2: five minutes of their, of their life on it. It's um, I I will think of a couple, I, I did a lot of the, I took a lot of that recruitment on, especially for the S and C side of it. Cause that was kind of the grunt work. Cause Simon was my boss. So I just had to do what I was told. Um, <laughs> i'll think was I'll it think was of, it
0: the assistant director or the assistant to the director assistant, assistant two, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Assistant we've to had that director, conversation get my, uh, got my coffee done. ordering on the way to work and uh... oh,
2: i have brought simon more coffees than i care to remember it's basically the equivalent of the snc coach putting cones out that was me i was just bringing simon coffee um <laughs> good good times um i'll think of a couple of like really good and really bad examples but i know i know on that thread you gave some incredibly good feedback in, in kind of very detailed so what were some of the common things you saw cropping up what were some of the good things and some of the not so good things
1: um i mean yeah like attention to detail was the big one like across the board just just spelling mistakes. Um, spelling my name wrong as well and I don't know how you spell Matt Jones wrong I I really don't (laughs) I really don't know I mean I I understand how you can say it wrong I get that I completely understand that point (laughs) but (laughs) but, (laughs) but, but yeah no like just attention to detail was the biggest thing even spelling names of clubs just structure like you know like the detail of how things should look and it's little things, but like even just like a, a bullet point being out of place, or you know, just maybe something overlapping, and it's just like not that that's a big deal in the grand scheme of things, but it's just like right, well, that's something that could have been sorted, and it makes it look a little bit better because that's more noticeable than maybe a, a spelling mistake or just oh, that I, little bit yeah. out of place, right? You I, know?
0: I agree with that completely, and I know that Steve, you were really hot on this when we were when we were recruiting, but it is that idea of like this is your one shot to grab someone's attention if you don't have the time or can't be bothered to put in the time to ensure that that is perfect your attention to detail what's that going to be like when you're under pressure and expected to produce a report and you're expected to put the right information in and you know what am i expecting you just copy and paste it and it's going to be you know the same thing you told me last week or is it are you actually going to do it properly because it is Indictive of kind of what your personal standards of professionalism are, I
2: think. Yeah. That that is a hundred percent the point that I have tried to make. You know, now I'm now I'm teaching and I'm working with students and I'm talking to them about uh, applications. You know, like like I'll be very br- blunt. And again, like I mean, I can't remember, but you we blunt? must have had. Shh, come on, <laughs> I am I am the nicest guy. I don't know what you're talking about. Um, we had hundreds of applications for that China job. And like, you know, if there's a spelling mistake, you're gone. And, and I said that to students and, uh, you know, there was a bit of pushback from the students and they're like, well, but you could be missing out on a really good coach just because they've made a, a spelling mistake. And it's like, you, you are right. Like, and, and we spoke a little bit about this before, like it's, it's very hard to recruit. Well, it's, you can easily pass up, a good coach by mistake, or you can hire an absolute horror and uh, I'm, I'm, I'd say we've probably done both um, but one of the the things is is exactly that like we were hiring for the Chinese Olympic Committee. if you look across the last three Olympic cycles they've been in the top three for the last three Olympic cycles they are one of the most elite organizations in the world if you cannot make hundred percent effort on a CV yeah. and I'm and I want you to to like you say to weekly report back to key stakeholders including directors of sport directors of Olympic Committee. like if you can't make a, you know if you're going to make a spelling mistake in the CV what are you going to do in those reports it's not about oh I just made one mistake it's about your level of professionalism you're, you're telling I'm not judging your spelling I'm judging your ability to provide accurate reports
1: I can understand to an extent if you've got, like if say the job's gone out and it's like, right, you've got six hours, then okay, maybe there's a rush to it. Okay, I I can understand that. And to be fair, I didn't really judge anyone that uh, harshly with spelling mistakes, but I was like, right, well, that's a bit of a red flag. Um, But if you've got like with that job, it was up for a few months, I know for a fact. So if someone hasn't got the time to sit there and think, right, is this the best portrayal of me in a CV? Is this, am I putting out the best version of me for this? And if they think that, doing that and send it across with spelling mistakes is doing that then it's not yeah. really the type of person you want
0: i think i, mean, I think I,
1: that oh sorry i was I, just gonna say talking about like the best
0: portrayal of yourself have you seen any cvs that have really
1: stood out to you that were a little different um yeah to be fu- funny enough actually it was someone who wasn't even applying for the job who just sent me a cv <laughs> for feedback just what I <laughs> Um, oh, and, cheers. and i was like i like, have Thanks. i got enough on my plate <laughs> yeah i know i was i was like right okay well this is after, to be fair i'd resorted everyone i was like right yeah okay this is i find i don't mind doing it and um and yeah, it was good Do you know what he didn't include like qr codes of his like analysis work he was like i think his video analyst and he'd included those on his cv so and a link underneath as well so if you're not on the laptop you could just press it or if you had a print out you could scan it and it'd open up the videos of an- analysis work and i thought you what's know, brilliant like that yeah. just makes you stand out straight away and the attention to detail and he's gone above and beyond to do yep. that. And it shows I, a bit of work that you can't see on a CV, right? I actually ended up having a, a chat in a similar way with um,
0: with one guy that applied to the job in China and then actually shows how global the, the, the industry is. I had a load of the same people applying when we were recruiting for Fortius here in Canada. And he, I think he was actually one of the guys that um, applied. But I ended up when I was chatting to him actually just... You know, spend a lot of time you know commenting on his cv because i thought he'd done a really good job of displaying the information in a very clear way but a unique way so like he'd created this kind of timeline for his career um that told me everything i needed to know about where he'd worked what his role was how long he was at each place but it was in a really clear sort of diagram. So it's more like an infographic than it was just a CV. And it was brilliant because it's like, I actually understood his career so much better. I immediately went back and changed my own CV because I was like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, mine's now terrible, like compared with this. And I had another one recently who um, sent, a, sent a CV through, but then had a link to his online CV. And I was like, credit to you as well, actually, he had this little mini web page that was his you know, interactive CV. And again, that gave more, more detail. But it, it's things like that. I think now so much of what we do as coaches is, is about the transference of information, right? Your ability to translate that information to the athletes, to the coaches, to the other stakeholders. If you can create a way of showing that, that's another reason why I think the CV question is so important
1: I, th- I think it's um a big thing as well like what i saw is is people who you know there are resources out there to do a good cv like you don't have to the ones because you probably miss out on good coaches who do one on a word right because at the end yeah. of the day dry in it like a black yeah. and white cv is a slog to get through so but there was people who've gone the other too much the other way and it looked like a graphic design one and <laughs> oh, just... I've, got,
2: I've got a great example i'll <laughs> send you about in a minute <laughs>
1: But yeah, I mean like that's that, like that, that's the thing like you can't you can't go too much it has to look professional uh, but try and stand out in a different way and I yeah. think even with like you are saying with the the timeline like I've seen people do those as well I don't think there was anyone applying for that but it looks dreadful like some of them it it has to be done in the right way and it has yeah. to look good you know it, it can't be too much can't be too busy you know what I mean yeah. Oh yeah busy, right?
0: Talk, talking about busy Steve were you thinking Steve, of yeah. you know, the Hollywood movie poster
1: it was one know, that honestly it was
0: like a bollywood <laughs> movie poster so i was like like as off, i mean it's it's cool but it's
2: i don't
1: know not necessarily how, what we
0: were looking for yeah, in this set i
2: don't know how much i can say about like, it cuz like, cuz ultimately oh, it is yeah. another professionals yeah. like oh yeah yeah like i don't want to but dig but, dig anyone, but it was it was so far over the top and and it was it was just ridiculous it, it got noticed but for for all the wrong reasons <laughs> very much it was it was style over substance not only that and 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 I'll carry on this story because I think it's worthwhile once I had rejected him he asked for feedback absolutely acceptable and I gave him some feedback um and his initial response to coming back to me was you're a racist if if I had a different name you would have hired me that's gonna absolutely get my backup obviously straight away I I replied with as Simon has said I, I can I can be fairly blunt when I want to be um, I, I replied with a very lengthy email that ripped apart his resume and cover letter and I and I just detailed every single mistake he'd made in it and I said that's why I'm not hiring you because you you know we need excellent attention to detail and and this is where it's come from and 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 then any to you know to his credit he replied and he said fair enough constructive criticism i was angry went off at the deep end shouldn't have said that it did it did wind me up but i i definitely saw through that recruitment process a trend of moving towards almost like a powerpoint presentation of cvs and i don't know if you saw that but but definitely it was like five or six powerpoint slides of of you know someone and where they've worked and it almost mm. like each slide was this is where i've worked and it was a different job i didn't personally like them i don't know how if you saw anything like that
1: i mean i think uh, I, I didn't see any specifically like that I had one that was like five pages um like detail in what he did for work experience at 16. <laughs> stuff like that. That's so, I'm like, so important. I know. I'm just, you know, it's, no, there wasn't anything too much like that. But I mean, I think ultimately when you look at it, it has to be maximum at two pages. You know, if you're going to be working five years, there's no way it should be over one page, really. You know, what I mean, even then, it depends on how many jobs you've had, of course. But, you know, it, there's really, really trying to condense the information you're putting in, I think is the biggest thing. Um, and it has to it has to look professional i mean i think that's the biggest thing it can't be over the top it can't be like a poster. it can't be like a powerpoint because that's not what you're doing you know if you can find a way to include it like you mentioned Simon with a link to a online cv okay brilliant you know that's a good way or you know we we were talking before about like the video cover letter as well like if you could include a qr code to a video cover letter that is a link to my um, uh, to a virtual introduction of myself i think that's a really good way to do it it could be such something such a great that idea up, right yeah i yeah. love
0: that idea yeah and that was a great idea was that something that was asked of you or something that you had seen somewhere else or something that was you know
1: yeah no it was asked for for a recent sort of interview just a little bit of some some sort of work on the side um um esports actually so that I mean that would be another sort of different industry nice finish finish that off like
2: this point about the virtual intro is is really important but then I really want to talk about esports if we have time at the end because that is something that I think is going to explode
1: um but yeah so it was for that and like I mean like I mentioned it was only a sort of two minute intro just sort of detailing really like like as you're doing a cover letter but trying to I think I had like eight points something like that on there but as I mentioned, it took me 45 minutes to get it done because I couldn't pronounce my own name. Um, to be fair, after I did it, because I had to cut so much, I I was laughing because I got my name right. I was like, "Hi, it's Matt Jones," <laughs> <turned." laughs> like that. And then my girlfriend just took the piss for about a week; just didn't stop because I just I was so happy I finally got it right and then got through it all. Um, but yeah, I hope I you had back, some
2: uh, like some drone footage, <laughs> like from up high, of you coaching somebody out on a field.
1: Hey, I'm an s coach, not an analyst. Come on, <laughs> this is just. Like, Hi, my name's Matt Jones. I like weights, um, <laughs> but now I like. T- to be fair, it was um, watching it back, even though it was myself in it. It, it was really, really impactful, um, and it just felt more personal. You know, if and I suppose that's the thing. Like one of the things you include a-, a picture on your CV, right? It just automatically puts a face to your name, and you know, it's. I felt that, okay, well, at least with this video cover letter, it puts this well stroll to my name and along with my c. v. as well, like you know it sort of adds to the to the image of a miserable bastard
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> would you
1: do you think you'd be more inclined to hire someone if they sent through something like that? I mean again, I think it comes down to quality, comes down to what it is. um, I don't wanna see someone like juggling when they're doing it'm <laughs> like right. right. I'm, so, I'm I'm a legit <laughs> juggler as well, I could definitely get that in there. He's out on the no-pass, right? Um, I think it just has to be like, well done. The same with the CV. It has to look professional. It has to, I may mean, say look professional. I think I was sat wearing my hat and a hoodie and I had no shave in about two months. But um, it has to look at least, come across as professional. You have to sound professional, I suppose. Um, I, I and match think, up match up with the with your CV, I think yeah. as well. That's the biggest thing. Yeah.
2: So Sometimes it, it can be really hard because like, for example, for me, if you've had like five jobs as an s and coach, I don't need to see you repeat five times what the roles of an SNC coach are. I know what they are. Yeah. Like, I don't personally, when I'm looking at CV, I don't want to see, I, you know, my main responsibilities were plan and lead workouts. Of course they were. You're an <laughs> yeah. coach. Like, what do you think? So like, I understand if it's if it's an unusual job or, or, or you might like detail it once, but when people are thinking, I have no idea how I can condense this down. Like, my my cv now literally like i don't have anything on there about what i've done in my roles because my roles have been strength coach lecturer they're pretty self-explanatory like if you don't know what they are like and i'm only applying for either a lecturing job or a strength coach job if like you don't know what they are i I don't know what's going on
1: I, i think it's just having that whatever you've done right. What did you do in this role? What was your impact? How did you have influence on something? Um, Yeah, I mean, I think that's the biggest thing, really, is just showing what change you made to the organisation you're working at, isn't it, rather than... And I think that's uh, fair. There was a key project or something that you
0: were a lead on. That's that's worth including. But I also think that's where the cover letter comes in. Like, that's your chance to explain the CV. And, um, you know, I found in, in... sort of recently like my cover letters getting longer and longer as I want to try and explain more and more and go more in depth and I'm like actually you know I've again been on the other side of it when you're hiring and you're like you don't want the cover letter to be too long but it needs to actually say more than your CV and hard,
2: I right, think so, it's it? yeah yeah I think it needs to, again that there's that that word impactful there you can use that cover letter to be like I was here I did this And the impact was this and that really really stands out it's it's such a bugbear of mine when people just throw around the same buzzwords of you know i i'm a good time i'm punctual i you know i'm reliable like come on but but what's worse is saying things in that cover letter that then aren't true so saying i'm a good communicator and then you get on the phone with somebody and they are terrible at communication. Like, <laughs> don't lie on your yeah. CV or, or cover yeah. letter. I,
1: to be fair as well, I don't even think including any of that stuff about, well, I'm a good communicator, I enjoy it. Well, it makes no difference. You're not, No one's going to say that they're, oh, I'm really bad at communicating. Actually, I'm yeah. really dreadful at this. Please hire me. Yeah. I mean, it's, Again, it's that, surely that all comes across in
0: the the standards to which you produce your cover letter and cv that's Mm. part of your communication then the email that you send and the sort of timeliness of a response if you get asked for an interview those Mm. are your communication skills you're showing that off yeah in in practice
2: it's when you say i'm great communicating but you've spelt my name wrong yeah Uh, (laughs) um so one of the things go i was just going to say one of the things that just on that recruitment front as well, that actually, no, there's two things I want to say because I think they're both important. One, Simon and I had a, a long, lengthy discussion that, that we didn't agree on, and, and he won. And ultimately, at the end of the day, Simon is, when I look back on things, normally it's better to go with Simon's option. <laughs> yeah. um, but but in that recruitment... it's definitely staying in, by the way. <laughs> yeah, we, um steered away from an msc as um as a mandatory um qualification like like an essential qualification mm-hmm. um we we had like a I i think it was msc plus five years or a bsc plus 10 years so okay you might not have a master's degree but You you will you will have increased that with experience, yeah, with with experience. And I think that that's so crucial because you know, and at the time, like I think the argument Simon put out to me was, well, you can have someone who's who's done their BSc, gone straight into an MSC, and you're looking at that person for a role, but they've never coached anyone in their Mm. life. But you're happy to turn down someone who has got ten years international experience in coaching because they don't have an MSC. Mm. And I think that that's a really interesting point and again i was just talking to my students today and they're all of this mindset of uh as soon as i finish uni i'm going to go and do an msc and the reason i bring that up is i don't know if we're allowed to mention other podcasts on our own podcast but i will do we will i was, I was listening to robin thorpe on pacey's podcast which was an incredible episode really really good and he was robin was was talking about this idea of how not necessarily i'm not saying that an msc isn't useful straight after a degree but like you you probably get more out of that msc if you've got some experience behind you in the first place
0: i agree with that i mean you you know i went and did my my msc um while i was in china and it was exactly that it was like i i initially wanted to do it straight away um I didn't actually think at the time I'm so old there wasn't a great program in the UK that I like the look of and I thought it'd be super sexy to go and do it in Australia so I got accepted to for a course in Australia to do my master's and then couldn't find any funding for it um and was like oh well I didn't really think this through did I because I'm I'm a bro I'm broke I've just come out of uni as a you know I've got a huge mountain mountain of student debt and i've got no way of funding this so i went about you know just just working and coaching and i'm actually really pleased that i came to it later on because i do feel one that i got a lot more out of the master's program but also it was a great way to really kind of update and validate a lot of things like there's a load of stuff in that program that i found relatively easy and that's not suggesting that I'm, you know, I'm being cocky or anything. I'd be really worried if the nuts and bolts of it had been a surprise to me. Because then I shouldn't have been doing that job
2: that I was doing. It, right? Like, you know working what I mean? It's, for like Olympic figure skating at the time, I'd be yeah. pretty upset as well. Yeah.
0: So like a lot of it just kind of came very naturally and was, was relatively simple. But there was a lot that I was able to really update and build upon. And by being a being in an applied setting at the time as well, it was a really great way to to be able to put it all into practice
1: I think it's um, like for me going in it was sort of that was my entry to get into Cardiff as well because um, I need to be on a course and i was like well okay if I have an MSc there's more chance of me getting a job because it's essentially on the desirable list right um, Like for me, I, I didn't feel it was that much of an like a, a difference between my undergrad it was just a small extension more reading pretty much that was the only difference I really felt I suppose it, because I hadn't got much experience throughout uni, I'd done coaching, just not any S&C work. Um, but I mean, like if you're having to coach field hockey to under eights in a concrete schoolyard in pont a in then middle of winter, I think coaching little athletes is easy, right? Um, <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, it was just like... It was a chance to go into that, but I think if you've got three years experience as a student, if you manage to get in at really low level in undergrad in your first year and then build on that experience and grow and get more more opportunities throughout, you probably don't need to get an MSc. You know, if you've got three years of coaching and then you can go straight into a job then because you have that experience, it's not that necessary really. You know, if you've proven yourself somewhere and they say, right, actually, this is all we want to keep on um, – you know, further down the line i suppose like you did it's 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 probably ideal then because I'm like okay well i need to just have this just almost tick the box isn't it really
0: yeah i suppose sure. it's
1: the same way i guess people doing a phd right i mean like for you steve you're doing one now right but i suppose yeah. you've had experience already to go in and you know what you want to do whereas so many people are going in to do a phd just all right i need a phd well why it doesn't make sense to me like you know you're having to research something half the time you're not even interested in because some lecturer wants to do it you know
2: yeah, and you do not want to be writing 80,000 words on something you're not interested in. Yeah. But, but I think you're right. I think the other thing that students miss, and, and it's it's so crucial for them to get placements at uni, but is the idea that when they're on those placements, they're able to apply the things that they're learning about in real time and they develop their coaching skills then. And like I said, you could easily do a BSc, then go straight into an MSC, And I've never coached anyone a day in your life But you think, and and we're cycling right back around to the start again, but like all of a sudden you've got your your BSc, you've got your MSC, you've got your CSCS and you're like, right, bring on the jobs and no one calls you. It's mad, isn't it? Um, The other thing I was just going to mention, and it's, it's not really a question, I suppose, but one of the things that we did when we recruited for China, one of the things I took on, which was incredibly time consuming, was the people that we were really interested in I, I called and had about an, an hour chat, and I made it very, very clear to them like this is not your interview. This is me telling you exactly what th- what this entails. And if you still want to to carry on with your application, and I haven't scared you off after an hour for an hour, then then please come on. And and I feel still now like that was absolutely the best approach I could have done. And it's specific because China like comes along with so many so many problems right that we all face but when I speak back to those coaches where I took that approach with them they all say that was like a really really good part of the recruitment process
1: I think it was uh, my boy Angelo Noto right my colleague now I uh, yeah he, uh, yeah yeah I think...
2: and, and and he decided not to come which yeah, is fair, fair. <laughs> he,
1: he hasn't left London ever that's why well, so uh, I do <laughs> a bit of grief
2: <laughs> like I said I, I said that to everyone there like listen I am not going to hold it against you if just because you've seen this incredible salary and, and, the, and the badge of the, the COC, you wanna come and work here. Yeah, it sounds great, but like, I'll tell you what it's really like, and then you decide, and, and I'm not gonna hold it against you. And some guys listened to that and said, actually, thanks, it's not for me. Other guys went, okay, I, at least I know what I'm getting myself in for. And those coaches w- was really successful afterwards. Yeah, I
0: think that comes down to the setting of expectations and, and everything, right? Like we had, I'd, I'd say of all the people that came over, it was probably a 50 50 split of those that got on well out there and were successful. And those that really struggled and couldn't, could never really find, um, a sort of comfortable position in the sense of like, they felt comfortable doing the job and they felt comfortable living out there. Um, and I think a lot of that came down to the expectations that people had before they, before they came out. Um,
2: yeah, I agree. I agree totally. And and what we saw, again, like not mentioning any names, but the people that came out with unrealistic expectations, either on their end or from somebody who had recruited them, hmm. they, you know, they were turning around and leaving within 24 hours. Yeah. Oh and, yeah. And and it's kind of like it's not it's not necessary if it's if you've been sold something and you haven't achieved that that's not your fault but yeah. equally if you haven't done your own research there's plenty of people around the world that have worked in China that you can reach and I had so many people reach out to me and say listen I'm looking at this job um can we just talk about it yeah, yeah I'll fill you in yeah I
0: think that I think that's another really important thing is people doing their own due diligence um there were a number of people that came out to China that had never you know, never spoken to anyone working out there, or never done any of their own research, and then the ones that had gone, oh no, I re- I've got a mate who's worked in China, or I've, you know, I travelled through a few years ago, or like I, I've just, I've just looked online and read some articles. Makes such a difference, right? Um, I will say one thing: in the most recent recruitment that I, I did through um, through 40, so I was actually really impressed with some of the um, young Canadian coaches and the questions they asked in interviews there's definitely something that they're doing in the in the universities and colleges here to prepare people to go in for that process because i definitely don't feel like a lot of the interviews we had in china we did i never got asked enough questions and i think that's really important for people to remember that the person recruiting you although we talk about how many applications there are and stuff i actually want to see people wanting to ask me questions and taking an ownership and taking an interest and and making sure that they're making the right choice
1: i suppose i guess it comes down to coach a little bit as well and that doesn't it like for me i was like because i'd been to asia i'd lived in asia already i suppose for three and a half years i was like right well okay it's going to be you know singapore's asia light so it's just (laughs) opening the baijo now yeah yeah Uh, (laughs) yeah, Yeah. and I, i always felt that my adaptability was fine anyway i always knew that well okay whatever happens it's going to be for a year i can stick it out for a year or even worst case not that i was ever gonna but i suppose hmm. worst case that you know, if it really really doesn't work out okay well, i can move back yeah, yeah absolutely I might as well take that risk and have that chance and then yeah. you know i was quite lucky that you know, it worked out quite well on my end and i was quite lucky to have two incredible bosses <laughs> oh, who were they <laughs> <laughs> Ron I, um... Rudy, to be fair <laughs> <laughs> well, he um
0: we ended up talking about the, the sort of the CV and, and recruitment thing for quite a while. I, d- I do think it's a really valid topic to, to talk about, particularly on the podcast to, for younger yeah. coaches to listen to and understand. But I also wanted to pick up on something that you mentioned there about the, uh, the e-sports. Just, just mm-hmm. briefly give us an idea of that. And also um, talk about, like, you mentioned it being a bit of a side hustle. And I think something that we've all learned from the last year, we mentioned it earlier, how fragile the industry is and that need for a bit of a side hustle. So if you just give us an, an outline and like what, what your thoughts are on esports and, and where that's going and the need for a side hustle.
1: Um, yeah, I suppose it's the the same as a lot of the industries. Like I've st- not massive knowledge of it yet in terms of esports, and it's still fingers crossed anyway, hopefully next week. But, um, <laughs> but I mean, it's definitely a growing industry. And I mean, some of the prize money that's being thrown around in it is, is insane. Oh, it's huge. Um, yeah. so it's it's like... in the
0: Asian games now.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, no. having, having a chat with the the guy who runs the company um, I spoke to last week, like there's there's not really that much support. Even some of the biggest organisations there don't provide support for their players. Yet yeah, There could be like 11, 12 million on the line. You know, it's like, and you're not providing adequate support. So, I mean, it's a lot of it ties into my current work, um, you know, around with the engineers and that side of things and just general movement problems, nutrition, habits, behavioral change. Like that's the biggest thing really having an understanding that this holistic outlook about what you should be doing is probably the most important thing with those guys. Um, but yeah, still witnessing on that one fully. Yeah, I think as well, easy. like
2: it's one of those things I, I remember like when we went into China and we had coaches going into like rifle and archery and they're just so completely out there that in, in a way that they almost aren't physical that or or certainly not to the eye that you just think i don't even know where i'd begin and i think a lot of people would would think that about esports but when you start to get into it and then you think about general sort of health and wellness and and how that improves concentration and how it decreases fatigue and it's like you it's not it's not a difficult jump at all to see how this stuff works one thing that was that i loved um we had a coach, Hassani, who worked in in uh, cycling, right? In in BMX, and he was saying in their BMX gym they had BMXs, and so like to because it was such a non, tr- like traditionally S and C based sport, it was almost like, well, listen, you go play on your bike for a little bit, then come and lift some weights, and then go and play on your bike, and then come and lift some weights, and I and I feel like that would be the approach you'd need in esports. Like you'd have to combine a gym. With somewhere that they that they go and play, and it's kind of like, all right you go off and and play uh, you, you, whatever it is, Sims or whatever you're you're playing, and now come in <laughs> and do some squats. That's pretty much my. How, how old are you, mate? <laughs> yeah, I was going to
1: say Sims. You played on Sims. I'm TV, surprised anyway. you didn't
2: mention yeah. Frogger. <laughs> oh, hey, we played real life Frogger in China. I was just I was just glad that this Every is an interview for an esports gig. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean to be fair, I think it's just like a lot of low-hanging fruit, really, like with them, isn't it? It's just things that it's really easy to hit. Um, and I mean clusters of gun game on Call of Duty with uh one set of back squats wouldn't be too bad, would I'd, it? I don't I'd be buzzing for that as yeah. well. I
2: love a bit of COD. It's yeah.
0: it's funny you you mentioned the the bikes in the gym. I remember at the um at the UK SNC conference, um a couple, couple of years ago. Yeah, I was yeah. gonna say I can't remember his name actually, yeah. but um he was he was presenting on you know working with athletes from sort of alternative sports, you know, like extreme sports. And he was like, My sort of readiness questionnaire in the morning is a game of Mario Kart. Like if the guy if the guys are playing well and like racing well, or the ones that are like slow to react and are just doing really <laughs> badly compared with their norm, that's that's a readiness, like you know, mm. system and so similar idea They had BMXs in the gym and they would just play, you know, sort of play and then get a few exercise in and get a few reps in and, and all the rest of it. It's just a very different, like different approach. Right.
1: It's whatever you need to create culture, isn't it? That's the biggest yeah. thing. You know, what yeah. works with the guys Absolutely. and what do they enjoy and how can you in- incorporate that? Um, going highbrow now when we were talking about university challenge before but i was reading some carl young the other week and oh, yeah. do you know what i mean and like yeah, i've really dropped Drop that names there. <laughs> oh, wow. you what, hey. um, but yeah like even one of the things there is saying like just you know at the end of the day these psychological interventions you have to treat the person as well as the disorder like if you're not treating the person that's the biggest thing And same with and C, yeah. you know if we're not treating that person and providing them what with what they enjoy and the stimulus they enjoy and you know with bmx if they don't enjoy the gym work because it's a non-traditional sport okay yeah have a ride around on your bikes in between i don't really care bunny yeah. hop onto the boxes brilliant okay now come and do some squat contrast training or whatever you know
0: yeah so- absolutely <laughs> absolutely i think i uh i went on for a while on one of our earlier episodes about the difference between like individualization and personalization mm-hmm. and that idea of personalization of like look if y- you can have the best plan in the world of, of exercises but if someone doesn't want to do it or well, that's a yeah. pointless plan because it's not going to get done so find a way to engage with them get them to do something and find a w- that's the challenge right that's the that's right. the puzzle that's it. yeah definitely.
2: definitely that was uh that was episode one for anyone who is listening <laughs> yeah. back so shameless plug here to go back and listen from the start <laughs> that was simon and i <laughs> in episode one <laughs> right <laughs> Good stuff. um matt you are pretty active on social media i would say if you're you know open to people contacting you where can anyone reach out and get hold of you
1: yeah Twitter's the best bet um i don't follow back no i'm joking i do follow back of course i do um so it's uh, matt underscore jones 90 i believe um, is that the
2: year yeah. you were born
1: it is, yeah. I know I look wow. a lot older than that, don't I? Yeah. <laughs> I said, it's, it's, that, it's that paper round up and down those valleys in Wales, mate. That's what <laughs> it <is>. tough,
2: tough, <laughs> tough paper round, yeah. All right, awesome stuff. Matt, thank you so much. Absolutely unreal conversation and, and took us in directions. I didn't think it was going to take us in, but <laughs> yeah, really, great really chat. good. Good to chat and, um, and good to catch up with you. Like you said the other day, uh, oh, sorry, earlier today, two Two years almost since we've since we've yeah, all caught yeah. up. So it's yeah, mad how time flies.
1: Yeah. yeah. Cheers again. Thank you very much for having me on. Yeah. It's uh, always good to catch up. All right. Thanks, Matt.